Welcome to Redefined Life. Today, we're speaking with Lenka Hudakova, who is the project lead with the Sustainable Ecosystem Scaling Core Unit at MakerDAO. Lenka, thanks for, for getting on the call today. Thanks for inviting me, Aaron. Happy to be here. Excellent. Um, so let's get started with your story. Um, as far as when were you first aware of crypto even as a thing? All right. Well, I guess like I have a good memory of that. Uh, I ended up going to open source days and I heard about this like Tor network and Bitcoin in 2013. Um, so I wasn't really at the early days, if, as you call it. Uh, but I was earlier on uh, interested in open source um, through one of the courses. And then I found an opportunity to um, try and search a job uh, in a Bitcoin startup because there was no Ethereum back then. So I actually, my first grown-up job was in 2014 in a Bitcoin startup that was dealing with payment processing and the brokerage-style trading platform. And, and were you... Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to add, like, yeah. I haven't changed industry since, so I'm there still. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so you're, like you said, your grown-up jobs have all been in crypto. Yes. Yeah. Um, were you going to school for tech or anything like that, anything related prior to joining that Bitcoin startup? Yes, well, that's also a really good question because, you know, as crypto wasn't really considered a career back then. There was not really a formal education. So, and I also inclined in a bit more um, broader uh, type of education than something very specific. I can just for fun say what I studied. Uh, so I went to Denmark to do my master's uh, in English, of course. Um, and I studied culture, communication and globalization studies. And there was a specialization within that into market communication and consumption. So my background from before that was in media studies, marketing communication. And you could see that, that I actually went broader uh, when it comes to masters. And then the question is, what exactly job are you supposed to have when you finish that school? That's up to you to figure out. And I learned that I liked the... Uh, the ideas about open innovation, open source, and all these things excited me, something that's global. So um, when I saw the opportunity, I actually went for it and it turned out well. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, so you wouldn't you weren't necessarily, you know, in a in a tech role or anything like that, um, but you were studying markets and um, had a broad background uh, in communication and and seems like some some economic concepts there as well. Um, Yes, I wasn't say super strong on that. I I had a couple. Uh, I had a semester at the business school in Copenhagen as well. Um, there, it was quite interesting in in that perspective. But I was very much interested in consumption and actually like presumption and and um, ethical consumption and uh, more ethical uh, practices when it comes to you know. Um, in general, like I, I wasn't really interested in traditional advertisement uh, kind of job that that very discouraged me from going forward. But I was looking for all these alternative ways. And there are a lot of uh, great ideas that actually get implemented in the blockchain industry. So that was kind of what attracted me. So I don't have a technical background. I don't have a strong economic uh, business background, but I had some sort of uh, basics uh, from different areas that I could combine here just like the broad study I had. Sure. Um, 
Now, obviously, the the crypto world looked a lot different in 2013 than it does today. Uh, to get that Bitcoin startup job, did you apply in kind of a traditional sense where you saw a job posting and you submitted a resume, or how did that connection come about? Yes. Um, so um, when you are a student in Denmark, uh, you have an opportunity to stay and see if you can actually, after graduation, find a job and be part of the job market. And that's the that's the opportunity I took. And then um, it's basically the same process, I guess, everywhere. You have some sort of a support from the state, or at least like you get assigned to the job center and then you search for it. So I just like came across this um just a job posting somewhere that there is a Bitcoin startup looking for marketing interns. And because I knew what Bitcoin is, like not really uh, like super in-depth, but I had the idea of what Bitcoin is, uh, I found that interesting. So I looked into it and I literally just Googled three days about Bitcoin and then mm-hmm. went for my job interview. Mm-hmm. And a funny thing is that you know, I knew completely that I'm not a technical type and it's very techy and it's very developer heavy, but I came there exactly with that argument that I have a strength in the areas that you guys don't have and therefore you should hire me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, in one of my recent interviews, we were talking about, you know, obviously the topic of the show, which is getting non-dev jobs in crypto and and some people, you know, see the only option being uh, to, you know, go go full into a existing crypto company, but often forget that, um, you know, if you did some sort of hybrid where you took your existing job, and I, I know that this isn't what you did here, but you know, took your existing job and applied the benefits of of blockchain technology, or you implemented using mm-hmm. this technology in some way in your existing job, or you know, with a diverse or with a non-crypto background coming in, you're going to have a perspective that that folks who have possibly even been in the space since you know, 2011, 2013, whenever it is, um, don't necessarily have because you've got all this other experience. And so, yeah, those complementary skills and transferable skills and perspectives um, shouldn't necessarily disqualify somebody from, from one of these open roles, um, or, or at least they shouldn't disqualify themselves from it without giving it a shot to put their name in the mix. Absolutely. And uh, one thing to keep in mind that no one was born an expert. Either you come as an expert in one specific field and you need to catch up on other areas or you just like cannot really think that uh, you have nothing to contribute. You always have something to contribute. And another important point is that it requires very different type of people to join this industry. If you're not curious and not... uh, you know, intellectually stimulated in this work, then then it's maybe not for you. I, I was entering a startup environment and I was entering a crypto environment being non-technical. So you had to be, you know, a bit more agile and doing some desk research and, and figuring things out and not expecting everything being resolved right away. So it's also a lot about curiosity and learning new things and, uh, and having patience. <laughs> sure, yeah, I imagine that that's, for for people who do come in with a non-crypto or non-technical background, I imagine that patience is often a little bit challenging in that, you know, there's probably some insecurity that you feel like you're a little bit behind, but, you know, it's all, it sounds like it really is, requires a growth mindset, um, just like any major career change, uh, you know, that, that you've got faith and you're a quick study and, and you have the curiosity to be driven to, to put in the work to learn. 
Absolutely. And and then there's a lot of like, you know, you, you might know a bunch of people who are extremely, let's say, art, that are extremely talented artists, but do not know how to sell themselves. And you might have the same issue here. Like you might have the biggest brains in the world, but if they don't know how to market the product or how to build the community, then it's really a fail. So you actually need these kind of specializations as well. You need a lot of non-technical people in, and it's just like really good for people to notice it early because if you don't build a community then you have the best protocol in the world but people don't know about it or the user experience is terrible so it really matters as well these kind yeah. of roles huh. um so then so you had you were involved with the bitcoin startup and then how did you get involved with maker yes so maybe it's uh, good to just mention what startup it was. Uh, it's a Danish uh, company called Coinify. And it was basically a merger of payment processing platform and this uh, brokerage style trading. Like the trading platform was the first in Europe, I think, of its kind. And um, there, you know, um, I was also very passionate about Bitcoin and everything. And on top of that, I was also trying to uh, pick up a bit more technical understanding. So for instance, I took the MOOC uh, massively offered online course from uh, University of Nicosia, where I learned some good basics. It was Andreas Andrupen, sorry for pronunciation, no uh, who, who taught that one. Uh, so that was really, really helpful. And I'm sure that many people who, for instance, did did take the whole master's, had completely career-changing opportunities. So I'm very grateful for that. But all in all, you know, the um, Ethereum white paper came along and then Ethereum launched and just became really exciting. And uh, as uh, I was going to different meetups, I uh, was uh, introduced to this project. Well, it was first intimidating, really, a lot of intimidating. Like, it was really complex to understand to begin with, but uh, I just kept following. And then I kind of, over the time, realized that the payment part was not really picking up as much because of the volatility. So it was very clear that if I want to contribute even further to this industry that I should join a project that is building a stablecoin. Because if the crypto should live up to the, you know, to the idea of being the digital money, then uh, we're not going to get there with volatile cryptocurrencies. So that was my main driver to join. And then I basically made the switch uh, for, I think, four years. I was at this, this company and then I made the transition, joined the Maker Foundation. Um, first as a community lead for Europe, where I was uh, building community across the European region. I also traveled a lot for other events and then naturally also online. Um, around year in, I transitioned into uh, managing events for the foundation. So globally, we had crazy amount of events, uh, sometimes even up to two a day that needed to be coordinated and streamlined. Um, when I did a little review of how many events I we were involved in since the day I started, sometimes in August uh, 2018, then uh, I arrived at number 600, which is pretty crazy, wow. until February this year or March. So, so yeah, it wasn't just organizing, say, like an annual conference or something like that. <laughs> it's all kinds of involvement. Sometimes it's literally just... Uh, 
just uh, coordinating a right speaker for that opportunity and making sure that everything's aligned. Sometimes it was hosting, sometimes it was partially hosting and collaborating with someone else, many different ways. Uh, there were a lot of phys- uh, like in real life events before we turned into online events, so all kinds of even involvement. Sometimes even a booth at the major conference with a lot of planning, sometimes DEFCON, et cetera. And so now you're you're with MakerDAO, right? So you're the Sustainable Ecosystem Scaling Core Unit. Um, can you go into kind of the difference a little, just a high level overview of the difference between the Maker Foundation and MakerDAO and um, a description of what the core units are? Absolutely. Um, so um, it's really good to understand the, the connection between MakerDAO and the Maker Community and Maker Foundation. So I'll try it my best. Um, well, MakerDAO is a project uh, that has a community around it. And part of this community is also Maker Foundation, which is basically entity that was set up to bootstrap um, the, the DAO itself. And uh, this function is being fulfilled and uh, the funds uh, from the Maker Foundation, almost all remaining funds have been transferred to the community um, and the foundation is winding down. I also stopped my work at the foundation. And uh, when I was looking into what to do in the future, I decided I want to try and contribute to the DAO in a shape or form that I'm fit and relevant to. And uh, one way, one can do this is by forming a core unit, which basically means a team that is mandated or contracted by the DAO and voted in uh, to do a specific work for the DAO. Um, Also, one of the principles of uh, MakerDAO was uh, decentralization. So this is basically something that was expected in a long time and on the roadmap, and it's finally uh, happening. So it's very exciting times. Now, instead of being employed by the Maker Foundation, I'm employed by the DAO and I work uh, for the Maker governance, for the people who make decisions on behalf of the protocol. And so the core units are these teams that are voted in by the DAO? Yes. Okay. They basically, sorry, sorry to interrupt, uh, just like you have in uh, Bitcoin, uh, you have BIPs, Bitcoin Improvement Proposals, in Ethereum you have EIPs, uh, in Maker we have MIPs, and basically there's a set of uh, set of uh, proposal framework for core units where you, um, you have three, basically, to simplify it, one for the mandate that the team is trying to uh, get in terms of what problem are they solving for the second one for who is the facilitator of this core unit because you need to have an interaction between the core unit itself where you have contributors who do the work and on the other hand the governance community sort of a political kind of position and thirdly you need the budget for the work you are planning to do uh, to be paid out from the protocol and so how does the core unit get organized um, and how do people get added to the, that core unit team? Well, that's a really good question because I think many people arrive to being part of a core unit in different ways. But in general, I would think of uh, people who have interest in uh, participating uh, into the project, uh, who have skill set in one or another area 
and who have a general fit to work together as a team. Um, these people form a team, then they figure out who is the best to take which role. I mentioned the facilitator, then I mentioned the contributors. There are also in teams that have larger structure required for the type of work they're doing. There are also team leads uh, who also try to organize uh, work a little bit better within the core unit. So this is how they come together. And then it's general alignment on um, preparing these proposals, going through the governance process, uh, going through the whole uh, voting in part and campaigning, of course, and then it's uh, starting the work. And one thing that is really useful for people trying to form a core unit is actually put together a set of OKRs that they're trying to set to achieve that also communicates it better with the, with the community and with the voters. So uh, you said that acronym was OKR? Yes, uh, objective and key results, basically a transparent uh, roadmap of what they're trying to achieve and how they're trying to do that. And when do they set these goals to be Okay, And that's, uh, and that's the proposal for funding? That is uh, not the proposal of funding. Uh, sorry, first you start with mandate and strategies, general strategies, how you get there. But uh, it's really helpful when you form the team and when you are planning, um, you know, when you're close to the launch of the core unit, actually starting the working, when you get voted in, when you receive the funds. Yeah. And it's really important to have something you can share because transparency and accountability are very important aspects when it comes to being a core unit working for the DAO. Sure. Um, how are, are the individual contributors, I guess, uh, I don't know if salary is the right word, but how is are the how is the compensation kind of determined and figured? Is that uh, core unit by core unit and part of the proposal or is that yeah can you kind of just give a little more light onto that yes yes I'd say it's very much up to the to the team itself to the core unit themselves and I guess like there's a position of facilitator or in some situations team lead sometimes uh, you know you don't have only managerial positions here. Everyone has to do some sort of work. But I guess it's usually facilitator and team lead that kind of have these discussions with people who are interested to be part of a core unit and have a discussion about what, uh, um, um, like, to what extent will these people work on this project and what is the compensation they're seeking uh, for their work and kind of finding alignment internally and then proposing budgets uh, as part of the MIPS because uh, you can propose a budget for first three months and then uh, send another proposal uh, through the process again with updated budget. Sometimes you can account for more people you would need to hire, etc. cetera. Um, but in general, first you seek alignment internally and secondly, uh, you share the budget in the proposal. Of course, you do not necessarily have to go into granularity of uh, of uh, showing the individual uh, salaries. Maybe you can just group them as a team if that is preferred. Sure. Um, and then, as far as you know, let's say somebody uh, is interested in in the vision and and the the uh, you know values of of MakerDAO, just as the example here, since it's the one that you're most familiar with, um, and they, w what steps would they take to 
be considered a potential candidate for a core unit? Yes. Um, well, I don't want to say that we have like a one set of mission, vision, and values as of now, because uh, as we decentralize, we also need to discuss and uh, and check in uh, with each other and understand what we want to do. Uh, equally, maybe one set doesn't do it, and maybe more people prefer to have more uh, sets that are somehow aligned and still uh, working for the protocol. But um, it is really useful for anyone considering joining uh, MakerDAO in one or another form uh, to actually visit the forum. Uh, forum.makerdao.com is basically our forum uh, build on discourse where the community has a lot of different conversations where the proposals are being posted. And um, it's very good to follow different um, topics or discussions uh, Secondary, we also have public calls where people can join and ask questions. Uh, we have a community development portal that also um, provides a lot of useful information. And we also have a lot of uh, Discord um, um, servers that are popping up. For instance, our core unit has one. Uh, and equally, uh, the OG uh, communication platform is a uh, rocket chat for MakerDAO. So there are a lot of places where you can get a lot of uh, sentiment and understand what conversations are important or are popular or which opinions are prevailing. Uh, and then you just come up with your own proposal. Um, as the MIP set is uh, structured now, you have first one month where you have a request for comment period, where you basically share your proposal and seek um, some feedback and discussion around it so that you can implement the changes as necessary. And then you have a month of formal submission when you cannot change the proposal. And then you're basically uh, in, the, in, the, in the period where your proposal first is part of a inclusion poll, whether this monthly uh, set of uh, MIPS uh, should be included in the monthly uh, governance cycle. And then lastly, you confirm all these uh, uh, proposals that were included in the monthly MIP uh, to be passing or not through executive vote. So it's, it's several months actually, <laughs> this process, sure. and there's a lot of time for feedback and also research. So it really depends on how confident or how 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 um, specific the idea is formulated for this uh, new team to form. Okay, so so that's the process if somebody has a change that they want to be responsible for implementing, correct? And then if somebody, say, um, wants to be a, uh, a contributor like and jump into an existing team and provide you know labor for that team, is it, do they have to write their own proposal for um you know being considered to join that team or is that a different process no this is actually much easier because you don't have to you know reinvent the wheel in that sense sure. uh, you basically just look for which teams are saying that that, that they are hiring for uh, new roles to fill which uh, ones are these and uh, to our advantage, there is a new core unit forming called D-Talent, which basically is helping us to source the talent for different 
uh, core units. And this is also like, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but sustainable ecosystem core unit not only does the research project, uh, which I'm part of, uh, but we also have an incubation program. So what we're actually doing, we're helping other core units, other teams to become a core unit without having to go through all these obstacles alone. We're basically supporting them and helping them. And decentralized talent is one of those core units that we have. So uh, luckily for anyone interested to join any existing core unit or finding ways to contribute, they can just uh, look for the open positions that the talent is helping us uh, to fill. Okay. And where can they find a list of those? Is that just on the on the forums or is that on the Maker website? I think the talent is making their own website and uh, I'm not sure which stage it is in because everyone just have a work in progress pages as sure. they're still forming. Um, but I can share the link with you. Okay, great. Um, yeah, then people will be able to find that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess let's get into a little bit of the contrast between uh, working for a DAO and more traditional employment. Um, recently, you had uh, a couple of tweets that, that caught my attention and inspired me to connect with you to have this conversation. Um, one of them, you said, uh, working for a DAO is exciting and satisfying experience for those that dare and are eager to learn. And we kind of touched on that a little bit as far as the eager to learn part. Um, what's What are some of the risks that uh, make it May, or inspired you to say that it's for those that dare? Yes. Well, let's start from this way. If if you're looking for a new job and you have a certain things you need to check off and that is a salary at nine to five job, then you should not bother <laughs> because you right away are not the culture fit. But if you are up for, you know, um, if you're passionate about the project you're joining or the, or the mission of the core unit, um, and you are really open and interested and uh, and ready to find solutions to problems that are not solved yet, then that's really fitting. If you are seeking more traditional structured boxed uh, type of work, then this is not for you. So that's that's first to say. Secondly, um, there there is much more um, uncertainty that you have to deal with and be young be comfortable with. For instance, in our case, in SES, we proposed only three months budget and we would need to make proposal for another three months. So regardless, if you have a job contract or anything, you don't have 100% security that everything will be the same, let's say in a year. No one can guarantee anything. Um, in that sense, you have to be more flexible. And if you have commitments that do not allow you uh, to, to take this amount of risk or be comfortable with this amount of uncertainty, then it's uh, also likely not the best fit for you. Um, so those are like the two main things um, that might be a blocker for you. If you don't care about the mission and if you cannot uh, afford this uh, uncertainty. And equally, um, DAOs are still very early. There are no uh, set uh, proven ways to function. So for instance, in our case, uh, we are still mm, 
figuring out which tools are best for us to use to solve some real world issues because we still live in the real world and sometimes we need to plug into that uh, legacy uh, system and uh, so that we cooperate with other uh, providers. For instance, Accountable is helping us uh, with expensing and payrolls, etc. In US, I know that Opolis is doing it. So that's just a couple of examples. Um, so on that front, you are still like dog-hooding yourself. You're still experimenting with the best ways to execute or solve the problems for participants there. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, there's the the uncertainty just in in what uh, the the job would look like, you know, after three months if there's going to be major changes there, let alone a year. Um, and then you you said that you know if, uh, if somebody's looking for a nine to five, this is not it. So what what is the day? typical schedule like if there even is a typical schedule yes well i would say it very much depends where the other people in your in your team are and how flexible they are um, naturally it's uh, very sensible to make some generic agreements when it is okay to respond and when it is okay not to respond and when when one is away and unavailable and kind of work around that and different time zones but uh, I would say uh, generally it's remote first job. So you have a lot of freedom where you work from, but you don't have the advantages of, you know, like meeting everyone in the office. So you need to kind of um, accustom yourself to, to that limitation and, and, and adjust for it. Uh, for instance, like you need to have a really good um, uh, alignment with the rest of the team and you need to have some sort of um, sync ups with the team as well. So uh, there's a lot of flexibility, but also you kind of need to be available for these important calls where you uh, where you catch up with the rest of the team and uh, work out any blockers or anything that needs to be resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, so so hours can be pretty flexible. If I did, I'm in Europe. Uh, so if I need to have a call with someone in US, I need to understand that I need to make exception and work a bit later because to adjust for their time. Um, so yeah, it's not very fixed. It's much more floating, but it also gives a lot of freedom if you're better at organizing your time accordingly. Sure. Um, and then as far as... So I've asked a couple other folks, um, you know, kind of if they, if somebody who's working for a project should expect to be paid in the the given project's native token. And they said, yes, however, I haven't asked yet um, if, if it's common for um, the denomination to be in the native token, or if it's in some, like a, whatever the, uh, I guess a centralized or you know fiat currencies <laughs> designation is so like if somebody um does get a contract should they expect to be paid in say you know uh just to use a completely made up number 100 die a day or something like that um uh, or should it or then this is a bad example because it's a stable coin but um let's say Let's say link instead. This is a better example because it's it's more volatile. But, uh, mm-hmm. You know, a hundred link a day versus um, you know a hundred dollars a day. Absolutely, and that's a really good question. So in our uh, ecosystem, uh, three uh, kind of uh, options or um, like uh, okay, uh, there are two 
natural options, right? If you go with fiat, it's either a US dollar or euro, uh, depending where you are. And uh, when it comes to crypto, you can choose to be paid out in DAI. Um, we also, on top of this, as a retention um, initiative, because we don't only want to uh, attract talent, we also want to retain the talent. Uh, we also are working on a program uh, where there will be um, vested NKR incentive bonus. That's our governance token that is volatile, uh, but this is over a longer period of time. Uh, so, so, so of course, uh, when the core unit facilitator or team lead has the discussion with the potential contributor, they also discuss uh, not only how much should be paid out, but uh, which currency should it be paid out. And it also depends, like, what is the arrangement, uh, whether the liability to, you know, pay taxes from uh, crypto, receiving crypto, uh, who do they lay on, et cetera, et cetera. So it's varied depending on what one decides. Sure. Okay. Um so, yeah, so this, at least in, in Maker's uh, case, it's obviously a, a pegged stable coin. So um, it would be fairly predictable what your daily rate is going to be or daily income is going to be uh, for that three-month period, um, as opposed to potentially some other projects, which may have a more volatile uh, native currency. Um, and then the arrangements obviously would probably be project-specific. Yes. Yeah. And equally, when you when you make a proposal for the MKR incentive bonus, you need to choose a price of MKR from certain period, and you need to share that specifically that you chose average price from this to that period, and then you need to allow for some adjustment to make it fair over some period of time. We also have that in our proposal. I can share that link as well. Got it. Okay. Cool. Um, right, and then let's. Uh, in, a, in another one of your tweets, um, you said, you know, working for the DAO is not for everyone, but if you love it, you can't get enough. So um, I know we've, we've touched on a few of these already, but um, the benefits that, you know, make it so that you, you just, you can't get enough. Um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the people who are going to make it um, with, with the <laughs> DAO or the people who are are you know curious and self motivated and and thrive in in these more uncertain circumstances or settings where they need to have a, a problem where there is no there is no um, standard operating procedure to how to solve that problem. Um, what are the other things that make it something that you can't get enough of? Yes, um, well. I already said that the culture fit is very important one because if you end up here, it might be very, um, you know, negative for for everyone involved. You as a contributor, if you are really just going after a nine to five uh, job and a specific salary, and the project itself, uh, so you really need to have a drive. And and honestly, I had to basically reinvent myself because I have been doing something completely different from, for the Maker Foundation. Uh, and then when I decided to join the core unit, I also had to reinvent the role that I'll be doing, the, the best fit I saw, uh, what I find interesting. So I'm basically, again, out of my comfort zone. But I think the stuff I'm learning is very, very fascinating. And the people I get to talk to when we do the research 
uh, are some of the brightest people. So I feel like it's uh, it's really fun uh, to dive into these specific topics uh, that we're trying to address and resolve. So that's basically what I mean. <laughs> and I guess like one thing to watch out for is like not to overdo it. Like you still need to manage your uh, remote first uh, job with flexible working hours. So you also remember to take time off because it can be just way too exciting. So so that's also another thing to keep in mind. Yeah, it sounds like a good problem to have. However, a very real one that if not managed properly can ultimately uh, make it a poor fit if, if the self-control or discipline isn't there to make sure you recharge. <laughs> Yes, for instance, like uh, we say that it's a uh, it's a marathon, not sprint, right? Yes. And uh, we also uh, allocate uh, several weeks of vacation for people uh, when they join because we want people to be properly rested to do the best job possible. So, so you know, we don't want to have people burning the candle on both ends. Sure. Um... So we've got a couple minutes left here and just wanted to give you an opportunity. Uh, if you want to, you can mention any roles that you're aware of that you're looking for, uh, looking to fill that the audience may um, want to put their name in the, in the hat for, um, or if there's anything else that you want to mention, um, feel free to, to promote whatever you'd like right now. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to forget a bunch of stuff. So sure. right now uh, in our team, um, um, so the project that I'm working on uh, is called X-Ray and we're looking into talent onboarding and retention. And one of the goals is to build a data-driven model that will help us uh, assess the bottlenecks that are along the way for the talent uh, joining. And we are looking for a data analyst to join us. Uh, we're already uh, in the interview process, but if anyone hears this, uh, then uh, I really appreciate you check out the role. I'm happy to share the link. Equally, I'll share the open positions um, from uh, Detail and Corini that are helping to fill openings uh, for other Corini that make her, uh, make her DAO. And uh, all in all, it doesn't matter if you end up working for Maker because I think just the topic of um, making that transition uh, from traditional uh, corporate jobs to crypto is it's i'm very passionate about this so i really hope that more people uh, will be curious about this will explore this and will have lesser anxieties about it the more they hear about it so i'm very very happy about uh, you finding me over my tweets and uh, people finding my LinkedIn post and reaching out to me, asking me questions. So if anyone have those, I'm really happy to answer those and hopefully help them um, figure some specific uh, concerns or uh, share some information with them. And I also want to give a shout out to, uh, to a lot of cool initiatives that are popping up because I tend to have very few female colleagues and I would love to have more. Uh, so there's uh, She256 uh, that is doing a great job. There's SheFi, uh, there's Metagama Delta. Uh, the other one I cannot pronounce, sorry, it's the Komebushi uh, DAO. So there are a lot of cool initiatives uh, that do take this, uh, uh, do take this uh, 
diversity aspect very important, but they're not necessarily, you know, shaming men for being in the space and crowding it here. They're more like trying to uh, build an equal platform uh, for everyone that is friendly and welcoming. So I really, really uh, hope that more uh, people from diverse communities and backgrounds join us and also parts of the world uh, that couldn't before, because now it's really possible. Uh, to join this space from wherever you are, as long as you have okay internet connection. It's it's really empowering in that sense. So I really hope that anyone who hears us here doesn't necessarily have a tech background and doesn't feel like they know anyone, just reach out. I'm happy to make introductions. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, definitely helped illuminate a lot of of the uh, the questions that I had and and um, I think this will be really, really helpful for, for anybody who listens to it. Thank you. And it was really fun to talk about this. Uh, I, I still don't get enough. So thanks so much for having me and happy to answer any questions from anyone who heard this. Very good. Yeah. So the links that, that we mentioned uh, throughout this, this conversation will all be in the show notes, as well as um, Lenka's contact, uh, you know, to, for Twitter. And um, I know you mentioned LinkedIn um, and anywhere else that you'd like to have uh, people connect with you. Um, that'll all be in the show notes. So uh, people can find that there. And with that, we'll, we'll sign off. Thank you very much. Thank you.